It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Megan Rouse's husband, Eric, wins the Most Patient Husband Award. I love how Megan explains how loving and helpful he is. Megan is a co-worker to Peter Phillip, and Peter's wife, Misty, is my friend and fellow podcaster with the podcast By His Grace. Misty and Peter also have Spark Media, which helps Christian podcasters. So I wanted to thank them for connecting me with Megan. Thanks, you guys. Megan, thank you so much for being on A Quilter's Life. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's jump into where were you born and raised? So a bit of a long journey. I was born in the middle of nowhere, Arizona. My dad was a small town preacher there. And so we ended up moving around a lot because of his job. So we then moved to a suburb of Chicago then Franklin, Tennessee. And then when I was about 11, we moved to a town called Monument, Colorado, which is just north of Colorado Springs. And that's where I really feel I grew up. Man, those places weren't very close to each other at all, were they? (laughs) No, I think they were trying to set a record for cross-country moves. And not just not close, but culturally very different as well, each place. And Colorado, especially where we moved, it was a very tight-knit community. If you weren't born and raised there, you weren't really welcome. So we entered a very difficult phase of life when we moved there. It was really hard to make friends at school. I spent a lot of very lonely years there. My sister was just going into high school, so she just spent four years and then got out and has not moved back since. But even my dad being a pastor there, it was very clear from the start that we weren't wanted there. It was a hard fight to stay. But ultimately, it's been 17 or 18 years that my parents are still there. And that's still where I would consider home today. Wow. How about a special childhood memory? So my mom is very humble in her sewing abilities, but she's better than what she says she is. But like many mothers, I think sometimes she overcommits. And we were having a chili cook-off at church when we were living in Franklin, Tennessee. And she committed to making a green chili pepper costume that would fit me. I was probably third or fourth grade. And I was supposed to wear this costume and wander around the chili cook-off. And I think it was midnight the night before the cook-off she and my dad were both they finally switched to hot gluing and velcroing and anything just to get this costume done but the next day for the chili cook-off I was wearing that chili pepper costume and had so many compliments about how good it looked and it's still something that brings a smile to my face (laughs) hopefully you have some good pictures of that yeah I think uh, (laughs) I think the picture, though, for whatever reason, I've just been crying. And so you can tell, you know, there are tears in my eyes. I think my parents were making me go back to whether it was Awana's or some sort of children's church program. I wanted to stay at the chili cook-off 
I'd just been told it's time to wrap up and go back to the children's group. And I'm crying, trying to smile through the tears. (laughs) How cute. Tell me about your employment. So that is also a journey. I'm not doing what I thought I would be doing. I went to school to be a salesperson. It was a professional selling program at Baylor University. And I went into sales for plastics. I knew nothing about the plastics industry. I was moved to Michigan for that job. I had never even stepped foot in Michigan, but I did that for two and a half years, moved into a process improvement program called Lean Six Sigma. And that allowed me to move anywhere. So I was actually able to move back to Colorado for a little bit. I got a great year living with my parents as an adult, which actually was a wonderful experience. Being able to move from that parental child relationship to more of a friendship. I called them my roommates. We had a really great time. And through that, it gave me the flexibility to start dating a friend from college who lived in Houston, Texas. And I'd always said I would never move to Houston, but never say never because I ended up making the move. We got married. And through a lot of the situations for our wedding, it was extremely stressful. I was throwing up every day from anxiety. And it got to the point where I said, if I don't quit my job, I think it's going to kill me. And my husband said, I fully support you. We'll make it work. You just quit and you focus on getting better. And so only being newlyweds for a month, I gave my two weeks. I felt like a total failure. I'm very achievements-based. If you're into the Enneagram at all, I'm an Enneagram three. And so I always felt like my job was my identity. And what am I going to do? Do I go back into sales? I don't know what I want to do with my life. I just want to make money and be successful. And I spent five months being unemployed and actually was able to do a lot of quilting during that time. I watched a lot of Netflix as well. And between those two things, I was able to get myself together to some extent. There's an author who talks about the connection of loose ties, meaning it's often not the people you're closest to that are able to connect you with other people. It's people who are in your outer sphere. And there was a guy I was in the same welcome week group at Baylor with our freshman year. So it's 18 year olds. We weren't super close friends during Baylor. We weren't super close. We didn't talk at all in the five years after graduation, but he reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, I saw you're in Houston. I saw that you're open to opportunities and I'm a product manager at this tech startup in Houston. We create apps. And tech was something that I always thought would be so cool to get into, but it's hard to get into a startup. It's all about who you know. And that was my opportunity. So I interviewed on a Wednesday And by Monday, I was starting. And so it's been a little bit over a year. So product management, we work with a lot of large oil and gas companies, and we take their product idea from just this idea. We gather all the requirements, we create the designs, and then we actually do the coding and create the application either on the phone or a web application as well. So it's a totally different place than where I started, but I feel like it incorporates all the same skills. I'm able to be myself and I love what I do every single day. How cool. That is so neat that your husband backed you up and allowed you to let go of your job so that you would be open for this. That is so neat. Yeah, he is 
always the most supportive. And I call him my quilting assistant because he'll do all the jobs that I don't want to do. Uh, He will go to Joanne Fabrics with me and he holds all the bolts of fabric. He's not great at the color coordination. So we're working on that. But seam ripping is absolutely my least favorite thing. And when I start to, he can see the stress level rising. He's like, let me take it. And he'll sit there and just pick at the stitches for me while I wander off and do something else. Wow. He must be very patient. (laughs) (laughs) More patient than I am. Wow. I'm curious. You did say that you moved to Houston to marry your husband, but how did you meet him? We were in the same freshman calculus class at Baylor University, and it was about this time nine years ago, so 2012, and it was exactly this time of year because March Madness was going on. He asked me to study with him, and I was so freaked out. You know, I had never been on a date. I had never kissed a boy. I was so freaked out that this cute boy from calculus class would ask me to study with him that I made a girlfriend come with me. And I even told her, I said, you're walking me back to my dorm after this. I don't want to be alone. And it was nothing against him. It was just, I was so freaked out. And so we sit down to study together and I've got my iPhone and I have the NCAA March Madness app on my phone. And I'm looking at my bracket because Baylor was really good back then. I'm checking to make sure my bracket's still intact. And Eric walks up and sees that and he goes, oh my gosh, you like basketball? You're like the coolest girl ever. (laughs) So nine years now, I have made fun of him for that. He took the hint and didn't pursue it when I said, I'm going to have my friend walk me back to the dorm. So we went many years without really talking, but we were on each other's peripheral. We reconnected senior year. I thought it was going to go someplace. He started dating someone else. We graduated. He moved to Houston. I moved to Michigan. I was dating someone. And he would just pop up periodically. He asked for my address one time. And next thing I know, I've got a tank top mailed to me and it said, we'll run for beer. And so he knew there are two of my other hobbies right there, exercising and I love chasing good beers, finding the best beer wherever I go. And I remember having the thought of, wow, I wish that I could be with someone like him because the guy I was dating at the time would never send a letter and never send a gift like that. And that happened repeatedly over the next couple of years where I thought, wow, I just wish I could be with someone like Eric. And I was sort of seeing someone, fast-forwarding to 2018, I was sort of seeing this guy, and I brought up the love languages with him because I had never heard this guy say that he liked me. And I said, one of my love languages is words of affirmation, so I just don't know that you like me if you don't say that you like me. And the guy goes, if you have to hear someone say that they like you, you're too needy, that guy doesn't exist, I'm not that guy. That was the moment where I went to Eric because he would text me every time he texted me. I knew exactly how he felt about me. He was always telling me how amazing he thought I was, how beautiful he thought I was, how smart and funny and all these things. And that was the moment. So I ended things with the guy I was seeing. I texted Eric a flight itinerary to Colorado Springs for the next weekend. And he booked the flight and flew there. And that was it. I mean, that weekend we were talking about what our future was going to look like. And it was a pretty accelerated path to marriage at that point because we were already best friends. Wow. 
How neat. See, now going from that to starting that question on quilting is like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he is my favorite topic for sure. I could talk about him all day. That's great. (laughs) Well, besides quilting, what other crafts do you do or have you done? My grandma taught me how to sew. And I had this idea in my head. I wanted to sew funny animals doing funny things and call it funky fauna. And I didn't know what that looked like. My mom said, talk to your grandma. I think you want to applique. So my grandma taught me how to applique. I was doing it on baby onesies or t-shirts. So started very simple. The first one I ever did was a little cartoon giraffe with a floaty around its waist and a snorkel on its eyes. I don't think my grandma fully got why I wanted to do this, but she was very supportive. We bought all the color threads, bought the fun fabrics. She taught me how to sew, especially on stretchy material like a onesie. That was very difficult. So I was, I think, early high school at that point. I did that through high school. I got more intricate with my applique and sold t-shirts to other students. And then moving into college, I started making bow ties. And I was in student government. So I was able to clean up there between the fraternities and student government was able to sell a lot of bow ties. And the specialty there, I made ones that looked like the Texas state flag and the Colorado state flag. So I priced those higher. Those did very well, both at school and on Etsy. How neat to be able to help offset some college costs with (laughs) something like that. How cool. Yeah. Bought some more groceries. (laughs) Or actually, you know what? It all went back to fabric. Who are we kidding? (laughs) That's true. How about other hobbies? Well, you already mentioned exercise and beer. Yes. We recently got a Peloton, the stationary bike, Mm -hmm. which I never in a million years thought I would get into, but I am so into it. There's a group from our work that we'll all do classes together. It'll be 7 a.m. on a weekday or it'll be 10 a.m. on a Saturday, but we're there. You can see each other on the leaderboards. It's very competitive, but it's also just competitive with myself of seeing the growth that I've had since early December. And it's also, I didn't know this about Peloton when I was judging it from the outside. It's a positive experience. It's like a life coaching session while you're in there. And one of the things that has stuck with me, one of my favorite instructors she will always say, start before you're ready. And I feel that way about my crafting a lot of times because the type of quilting that I do, it's not advanced. It's not English paper piecing. I don't have a long arm machine. These are all dreams of future that I would love to be able to be at that point. But what I'm doing right now is still furthering the skills that I do have. I'm still putting something beautiful out there in the world, even if it's not where I would ultimately like to be. That is really neat. I hadn't heard that about Peloton and the coaches. It's very social and they have all different kinds of music. So I did a Dolly Parton ride one day. It was a hard ride. She will pump you up and you're listening to that music and you're just riding your heart out. Britney Spears rides and hip hop rides. So there really is something for everybody. Neat. So who introduced you to quilting? So I learned to sew from my grandma, but quilting truly came from just imitating her. No one taught me. My grandma would make these amazing 
double-sided flannel quilts. And she also incorporated old jeans. So she would have squares of denim or squares of khaki, so really heavy material. And she would call them car quilts. And so she would give them out. My mom is one of four. So she gave them out to all four of her kids and said, keep this in your car in case you ever get stuck in a snowstorm and you need to bundle up. But these quilts are too good to just leave in your car. So everyone took them inside. I think it kind of bothered grandma. She wanted everybody to be prepared in their cars, but it's the perfect weight to just snuggle up under this quilt, take a nap, watch TV. And so I ended up somehow stealing one of them from my parents' house. And I was living by myself in Michigan, didn't really have friends. It was work and then it was nothing. So I thought, I'm going to make one of these quilts. So I bought a bunch of flannel. I kind of figured out here, I know the size of the square and I know that it's probably a quarter inch seam allowance. So this is probably the size that the square would need to be, but I didn't know about rotary cutters. And so I literally just scissor cut every single square, four and a half by four and a half for that first quilt. And I just figured it out. So obviously since then I've upped my tools. I have more consistency. I have a rotary cutter. I've figured it out since then. Did you end up taking a class? How did you learn about the rotary cutter? Nope, entirely self-taught. My mom still sews, so she had a rotary cutter, and that's what she said. I think you need this tool to make it go a little bit faster and to get that consistency in your squares because that first quilt was pretty wonky. (laughs) Most often, I do the cheater binding where I take the backing and just fold it over. So that first quilt, I missed catching the front. And so there are big holes. You could see the batting sticking through the layers. So that first quilt went to an old boyfriend. So it might be in the trash at this point, but I don't have to look at it ever again. <laughs> and here I was going to ask if you still had it. So you no. <laughs> I still have not made myself a quilt, but I have the dream. I bought a half hexy stencil. And the plan is that every color flannel that I have, I cut out one of the hexes and I want to make a scrappy rainbow half hexy quilt out of that for myself someday. So it reminds me of all of the projects that I made. Oh, fun. Do you have a favorite quilt? I have two favorites. I think visually my favorite was one for my husband's aunt. Is for her birthday, and she likes clean patterns, clean colors. So I did a teal, gray, white plus pattern. And so it's very different than what I normally do. Normally, I do fabrics that represent that person. So if they have a specific school, if they have specific colors, hobbies, I try to find fabric that matches that person. And they can be bright and loud and messy. But this one was my favorite visually appealing quilt just looked really, really good. And she loved it. But my favorite memory of giving someone a quilt was my mom had always said, oh, I'd love a quilt someday. And so I made her one for Christmas two years ago. And I thought she knew it was coming. I just thought she knew it was inevitable that someday she would get a quilt. She also went to Baylor. So I did Baylor football, lots of greens and golds. I did some, I think, puppy paw prints for the dog. And I wrapped it up and gave it to her early for Christmas and got a watcher. And I I took a video of her opening it. And she was so surprised and 
her voice, she's like, oh, you little, you sneaky little thing. I can't believe you did this. So it was a great reaction. And it was a little bit smaller of a quilt that I normally do. So she's able to sit in her recliner and watch TV. So we fight over that quilt when I'm able to go home because I love it so much. (laughs) Neat. How fun. And do you have a tool that you prefer to use? I'm going to say my Fisker's cutting mat is my favorite tool of all time. And I, it's because I got the biggest one possible. So it covers the whole coffee table and I leave it up all the time. So it's also an eating mat. It's also a coaster. (laughs) It stays out all the time, protects the top of the coffee table, and I'm able to quilt at any time. So that's where I do all of my cutting. Mm -hmm. And what's your favorite part of the quilting process? I love buying the fabric and designing, thinking about how it's going to go. I hate cutting it. And that's is the longest part of the process for me. And I just chip away at it over time. But then once I start putting it together, I just can't stop. And I'll set goals for myself. Like tonight, I'm going to get half of the front put together. And I just keep going. I'm an animal. Once I get started, I just keep piecing it together. And then it goes pretty quickly from there. I'm curious on your binding. Are you still doing it where you flip it over? Or are you doing it a separate piece now? It depends. So for baby quilts, I made a couple for friends recently, and I did do strips of fabric for the binding, learned how to miter corners. It was a good learning experience. I am glad I don't do that for my larger quilts. So for the larger ones, I still fold over the back. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for my fun question? Yes. (laughs) What was your worst quilting experience? I was making a quilt for my then fiance. And I typically, when I do the three by three squares, so I put all of the squares into a bigger square and then I would put the, almost like a binding, but the strips of fabric in between each square, I make the long rows and then I sew all the rows together to put the whole quilt top. And so I had all of the rows done and I was just assembling the top and I sewed one of the rows together upside down. And I was so upset because again, I hate seam ripping. Mm -hmm. I was so upset. I put it to the side. I didn't touch it for a month because every time I thought about it, it just felt like this big overwhelming task of I'm going to have to seam rip three feet of fabric apart. And so actually when I brought it up, Eric, that was the first thing he took over. He said, just show me how to do it. I will do it. Once he got the seam ripped out, then I was cranking again and was able to finish his quilt. Oh, so he started that before you were married. Yes, that's when I knew he was a keeper. (laughs) Can you explain why you make quilts? So I mentioned that I'm very achievement-based, and I think that's part of this is that It's a hobby that has a goal in mind and it's a hobby that it finishes something as opposed to, I like exercise, but sometimes there's not an end goal to that. Sometimes it's just doing it for the sake of doing it. And so with this, there's an end product often by some kind of deadline. And I've always been a big gift giver 
it's, it's a game. It's trying to find that perfect gift for a person. Uh, so in recent years, I've started making quilts for friends for Christmas or their birthday. Between my other projects, I only get a couple done a year. And so there's still a list of friends waiting on quilts, but that is just the best. When I make a quilt for a friend, they love it. It's in all of their pictures because they always have it on their couch or their critters are snuggling up with it. It's just a really great feeling to see my hard work and my love in an object that a person can cherish for many, many years. That also answered my, who do you make them for? Yeah. That's great. So recently, because I have so many scraps and we live in a fairly small apartment, so the fabric has just taken over. We had to buy a whole new dresser just for fabric. (laughs) And so I promised I would try to start working through some of it and make some scrappy quilts. So I made a little dog quilt for my sister's dog and I made a dog quilt for my parents' dog and a couple of little dog quilts for a friend's dog. And so then their dogs are all snuggled up with the quilts as well. And that's been really fun because I can experiment with new patterns. I can, like I said, with the binding, I can try out new binding tactics. And then I even bought some of the labels to start sewing into my works that says handmade by Megan or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's just been fun to experiment more and they go really quickly and they use up scraps. Yeah. What are you working on right now? So I have two projects going on right now because they're with the same fabric. So I hope they don't listen to this podcast until after I'm done, but it's the same set of fabric, both Baylor people, one couple They're really good friends of ours, and we stayed with them through the really terrible storm in Houston a couple weeks ago where we lost power and water for a week, and these friends ended up hosting us and another couple and their newborn baby and their dog. You know, we're eating their food, totally took over their house, and they graciously hosted us for that amount of time. So I was going to make them a quilt to say thank you. So I'm in the cutting phase, and then I feel like I'm long overdue for the friend who got me the job that I've been at for a year. So since he's also a Baylor grad, the fabric is all pretty much going to be the same, but I'm just double cutting, trying to cut for two quilts at once to get it over with, since that is my least favorite part of the process. And then at the same time, I'm collecting all of those hexes to do a quilt for myself one day. So I do hope that within this year, I can put that together because that would be a new pattern for me as well. Mm-hmm. Do you have a quilting tip to share? My quilting tip would be going back to that lesson that I've learned from the Peloton instructor, start before you're ready. So obviously having a long arm quilting machine would be a dream. But right now living in a one bedroom apartment, it's not going to happen. But I'm not going to put my dreams of creating beautiful quilts on hold until that time in the future. So start before you're ready. I think there's a lot of pressure for perfection from inside our own selves, from the outside world. Why start something if it's not going to be perfect? But there's this concept. I learned it from a book called The Defining Decade. It's why your 20s matter. And I'm late 20s at this point. So I've been trying to apply this philosophy of creating capital in yourself. So that could be with the job that you're doing, you're investing in yourself for what you want in the future. So for quilting, I'm investing in myself now 
by continuing to create what I can with the space and the money that I have right now so that I build those skills for the future to be able to someday English paper piece, to long arm quilt my own quilts, to do bindings, not the cheater way, but start and take those incremental steps now. Don't wait until you're going to put out the perfect product. Mm -hmm. So this question is not on your list, but especially in a small apartment, where is your sewing space? Once again, God bless my poor husband. My sewing space is everywhere. We try to be neat about it, but that typically just means it's hidden away, but it's still there if you look hard enough. So when I'm actually piecing together the quilt, it is our entire living room. I have to move the coffee table out of the way. He has to step around it to get from the computer to the kitchen. But he knows that I will move as quickly as possible and I will get it out of the way as soon as I can. But it's typically camped out in the living room for a week or two while I'm piecing it together. And then the sewing machine lives on the kitchen table. So that will have to move depending on if we're eating dinner there or not. The cutting mat lives on the coffee table full time. The fabric, like I said, took over an entire dresser. There's also a crate for active projects that I can move from the bedroom into the living room. So we make it work, and I'm just lucky that he knows how much that hobby means to me, and he's willing to work around it. And it's great because then it's out, and he can see every day how much I've chipped away at it, and he's very encouraging. He'll play games with me where he's like, oh, I bet you can't. I bet you can't finish that that top by the end of the week. No, like there's no way. And then when I do it, of course, he's like, oh, I knew you could do it. That's amazing. (laughs) So that sounds like fun pressure. Yes, absolutely. He knows how to motivate me. Mm -hmm. Well, I am so thankful to Peter and Misty Phillip for introducing you to me. How do you know Misty and Peter? So Peter is the sales guy at the company that I work at. Okay. I also schedule all of the fun events for our company. So he always comes to the trivia nights and the happy hour events that I'll host. And Slack is how we communicate at work. It's like instant messaging. And so we have a hobby section and I would post the quilts that I make there. And he's like, oh, I have somebody you should talk to. (laughs) Megan, before we wrap this up, I'd like you to share about the fantastic quilting heritage you have. There's this rich history of quilting in our family. So the grandma who taught me how to sew is my mom's side. But then on my dad's side, that grandma, she didn't personally quilt. She's a painter. But she had these quilts from either her mom or her mom's mom. Just dozens and dozens of quilt tops that were never finished. I have them at my parents' house. My sister actually took hers. They were stained from something. She was able to clean them up herself and then sent them away. She lives in Kansas City. So she found a quilt finisher Mm -hmm. and got them finished in their wedding ring quilt. And so just gorgeous hand stitch for the top. So that is something I don't know if I'd ever trust myself to finish those quilts myself or if I would pay someone to do them. But just really cool family history In my own way, I feel like I'm passing that along. Yeah. That is so neat. This was great. Well, thank you so much. It was so great getting to talk to you. Well, thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye.
You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.